course, we know that how we live on this earth now determines where we'll live in eternity. But particularly for believers, how we live here determines how we live there. We see this all through Scripture, that how we live, how we love, and how we lead determines how we will spend eternity. How we live, how we love, and how we lead actually determines how we will spend eternity. Reward is all through Scripture, and we see that. What that means is that what we do in this life actually matters. It's a sobering thought that what I do, how I behave, the choices I make, the way that I treat people, the way that I treat God, the way that I even treat myself, my neighbor, all of that matters because it is forging my way into eternity. What we do here actually matters. A couple of weeks, Adrian was preaching um, from the life of the Apostle Paul. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you turn your Bibles there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I just want to read these, these couple of scriptures here. We'll start at verse 16. It says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Verse 17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let me say that again, verse 17. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory. The Apostle Paul refers to things that are going on in his life as light and momentary. Does anyone know what he was referring to? Let me tell you. He was whipped with 39 lashes five times. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned one time. That was with stones, not smoking. He was... It's good we got someone... Someone in the audience today? <laughs> he was stoned one time. He was shipwrecked three times. Remember, he's referring to this as light and momentary. He was shipwrecked three times. He was adrift at sea for one night and one day. He had frequent journeys. He was danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from his own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, Danger from false brothers, toil and hardship, sleepless nights, hungry and thirsty often, cold and exposed, and anxiety for all the churches daily. 
And Paul says this is the light and momentary troubles. Now, if Paul was here and he would say that, we would all have concerns over his mental health. But I'd like to propose this morning that he wasn't insane. He was mentally healthy. He wasn't actually unhinged with reality. But I believe the Apostle Paul had the clearest perspective that he could refer to this thing and say, hey, I consider my, my 60, my 70, 80, 90, 100 years on planet Earth, on this life, as momentary troubles compared to the surpassing eternity in heaven. Our society would say, hey, this guy is insane. But the reality is he's actually got the clear, correct perspective. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, we're going to look at this. This is sort of our, our key verse this morning. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. I, remember, I heard someone once say, we'll all know who James is in heaven. He's a bloke that's sitting in the corner with no friends. So um, if you've read the book of James, James likes to be direct and straight and says it as it is. But, but let's pick up this um, couple of verses. James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse 4, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I've always found this verse annoying. I've always found this verse nearly offensive because in my human capacity, it's not like I receive a phone call with a, a doctor's report that's terminal or, 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 or serious and start partying. It's not like we would receive a call from our school and say, hey, your child's about to be expelled and we hang up the phone and we start to celebrate. It's not like we hear about a relational issue that's going on or the accountant rings you and says, hey, you've got a bill that you've got to pay to the ATO and you have no capacity to pay this. It's not like we break out the champagne and start rejoicing and have a party. But here it seems in this it's scripture, it says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. Is this possible? Is it possible to consider and to have joy when you're facing the worst thing possible in your life? Humanly, it's not. Because it, go, it goes totally against us as human beings. That all of a sudden we could rejoice, we could have joy in the middles of trials and difficulties. This is a passage that the Lord's been speaking to me recently. It's like, how many know that we, we don't actually move on from preschool in, 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 in the kingdom? 
It's like we go deeper, but he doesn't actually change the subject matter. I feel like I'm going deeper, but I feel like, you know, the gospel the gospel's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And he doesn't change the subject matter. He just goes deeper with us. And I felt like the Lord was taking me deeper in this passage recently to say, hey, where's your joy? How many would agree that we all want to be mature and lacking nothing? We want the last part of the verse, but we don't want the first bit. We all want to be mature, lacking nothing, perfect. But yet it says the outcome of trials as we find joy is to be mature, lacking nothing. I would like to propose this morning that joy and happiness are not always the same thing. Joy and happiness are not always the same thing. I've got here a definition of happiness is an emotion that is based on circumstances and outcomes. This is happiness. Happiness is an emotion that is based on circumstances and outcomes. Happiness is actually a good thing, but it's not joy. Happiness is a little bit like a roller coaster. Happiness is like a roller coaster. And many, many of us, many Christians actually live our whole lives riding this emotional roller coaster. This is happiness. Um, last week, we had an experience in our house that we've never had before. And it was about maybe one o'clock in the morning and there was a loud noise in the house. And how many remember those days when you were single and you could get like eight, ten hours sleep just in a row? And now it's like those days are gone. Yeah, and if, if you're here and you've got young kids or you remember when you had young kids, it's like there's not one night that there's not some sort of chaotic thing happening. Um, anyway, so in the middle of the night, myself and Rachel wake up to this loud noise and it's our oldest son, Thomas, he's making a lot of noise. And so we run in his bedroom, wakes us up and there we see him sitting on his bed laughing. He's not just laughing, he's like belly laughing. And he's not asleep, he's actually awake. His eyes are open, he's just laughing, he's, he's doubling over in hysterics, laughing. This, once again, he didn't have the iPad. He wasn't watching anything. He was literally asleep. And we got woken up by his laughter. So, of course, if you're like me, when you get woken up suddenly, you're trying to work out where you are, what your name is. Like, everything's a mess. And I finally gained my composure and I said, mate, what's going on? And after he had been laughing for a minute, he turned to me and he said, Bad, uh, he, said, he said, Dad, I had the most funniest dream. I'm thinking, are you serious? He said, Dad, it was hilarious. And then he, and then he just fell back on the pillow and went to sleep. So Mia and, and Judah, they're all awake by now. 
myself and Rachel, the whole, the whole house is awake. And of course, we, go, we put our head on the pillow, we can't fall asleep. He's the only one sleeping and we're all awake. And How many know that a couple of hours later when I woke him to get him out of bed, he wasn't laughing? <laughs> when I said, mate, we've got to go to school, get dressed. The tears and everything happened because this was happiness. This is, an, this is a roller coaster of emotions that my son was experienced. All of a sudden, he experiences something that's incredible and it causes him to get into a fit of laughter. And then all of a sudden, when he's got some responsibilities in his life, it's like the world's going to cave in. But this is a definition of joy. Joy is gratitude rooted in grace, no matter the circumstances. Let me say that again. Joy is gratitude rooted in grace, no matter the circumstances. Joy actually supersedes circumstances. This is why when James here writes and says, hey, consider it all joy, it's actually possible to have joy in very ordinary circumstances. Have you ever been around someone who, they might not not be giggling all the time, but you've been around someone and they've got such a foundation, they've got such a level of joy, that you see it, it, it's so visible on their life. And you know they haven't had a perfect life, you know that their circumstances haven't always been perfect, but there's something of substance, there's something of quality. It might not mean that they break out and giggle and laugh all the time, but there's something that is built within them And that's called joy, biblical joy. It is possible to have joy in your worst nightmare. Not because I said it, but this is what the Word of God says. And He actually commands us to find joy in this place. Joy doesn't come naturally. And it has to be produced by the work of the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes we even have to fight for joy. I typically don't find joy and just trip over it and fall on the ground and land on joy and be like, oh, this is amazing, I found joy. Joy is usually an intentional act or actions where we actually find joy. If you're taking notes this morning, I've got one point and that is how we, how we find joy how we get joy, how we fight for joy. There's only one point. This is probably a good time to write if you're taking notes. And this is it. Joy comes from being captivated by Jesus. Let me say that again. Joy comes from being captivated by Jesus. When I was thinking about Happiness versus joy. I was thinking of a tree and we, we let's say there's a, there's a beautiful apple tree and it's got apples on it and there's this beautiful shiny fruit and how many know that happiness is like the fruit on the tree? There's some seasons where it's there 
some seasons that there's no fruit. Some seasons there's, the fruit looks amazing and you take a bite and it's terrible. Adrian talked a few weeks ago about soft apples. I can't stand soft apples. If someone gives me an apple, I want it to be crunchy. There's nothing worse than biting into a soft... Who's, who's with me on the soft apples? All right, we've got about half the crowd. There's nothing worse than a soft apple. Nothing worse. Third world problems. First world problems. How many know that the fruit on a tree can change? It can be good one morning. It can be terrible the next. It can look amazing, but inside it can be rotten. It can look crunchy, but it can be soft. Fruit can change. This is like happiness. It's an emotional roller coaster. But joy is like the roots of the tree. Joy happens underneath the surface. The root of this apple tree doesn't change from seasons to seasons. It is there. And the roots go down and they hold this tree throughout seasons, throughout seasons, through storms, throughout changes of summer, winter, seasons. And all of a sudden, though the fruit may change, the root system remains. And the root system is like our joy. And how many know that with a tree, that root system is actually anchoring it down to something? It's actually holding it secure. And here joy actually comes from being captivated by Jesus. I know you wanted a a brand new revelation this morning. But once again, we're coming back to the simplicity of the gospel. Joy actually comes from being captivated by Jesus. There's actually a big difference between being captivated by Jesus as a person versus knowing Jesus as a namesake of a religion. There's a big difference between an intimacy with the Father and just calling ourselves a Christian. We're not able to go through the storms of life and maintain joy if we have a membership in a church. That's not going to withstand us through difficult times. We're not going to be able to go through hard things with joy if we just even attend a church. But the way we're going to find joy is just like that tree that is rooted and grounded in the soil, that anchors its, its foundations in the soil, is actually our life being rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. This is more than just ticking a box. This is more than just knowing a few scripture verses, although that's amazing. It's more than just being able to get to the book of the Bible faster than the next person. All those things are amazing. But what it is actually is it about us having a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. I would like to propose that as we allow our roots to go down into Jesus only, nothing else, our foundation, our stability, our roots, our foundation goes down into Jesus only. That's when we can actually experience joy through troubles.
This is actually the environment that joy grows in. Is our connection to Jesus. Philippians 3 verse 10. I love this passage of scripture here. We'll, we'll start at verse 8, but it says, What is more? This is the Apostle Paul. It says, What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Verse 10 I want to know Christ. Here, the Apostle Paul is saying, Out of all the things he's accomplished, he realized that his foundation his number one goal is actually to know Christ to actually know Jesus everything else is good it's like the fruit but there's one thing that we have to have in our core our dependence our foundation is to come back to this simplicity of just knowing Jesus This is a game changer when we actually get this. Because we move from people that are like, hey, I'm coming to Christ because of all the benefits that he gives me, into being people that come to Christ and just say, hey, if, if you give me nothing else, Lord, I just want to be with you, for you. And this is what Brenton was talking about this morning. He was saying out of all the good things that the Lord gives us, we just want to worship him for him. As we understand this more fully, it will change our lives. It will literally change our lives. The verse I read before, James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. I just want to read it in the Passion Translation. It says, My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up in you the power of endurance. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Consider it all joy when you have troubles. It doesn't mean we embrace the trouble. It doesn't mean we stand against the trouble. It doesn't mean we take the weapons and the keys that the Lord has given us to overpower these things. But what it means is that, hey, sometimes we can, 
I don't know about you, but in, in my humanity, our, I'm sure you've been in positions where it's like, hey, you've received a, 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 a poor doctor's report or a, a financial issue that, that, that you've found out about or there's something terrible going on in your life, your family. How many know that sometimes these troubles can come and rather than go and find our joy, we go into survival mode? Who's been there? We go into survival mode. And rather than realizing that, hang on, I need to find joy in this situation, what we do is we actually go and all we're worried about is survival, keeping ourselves alive. It's like we're just holding by a thread We're holding by a thread. And it's like all of a sudden that season passes and we breathe a big sigh of relief and we look back on that season and then we start to rejoice and then we start to praise and then we start to thank God, thank you that you got me out of that season. Now that's always amazing and the grace of God is always there for us. But in this verse it says, hey, Right in the middle of your situation, find joy. Because otherwise, we're going to be people like on an emotional roller coaster. We're going to be people that, and this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to distract us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to discourage us with everything that the enemy would want to come bring to us or life comes to bring with us. But here he's giving us a key on how we can maintain our relationship with God and, and, and find joy. I think the greatest thing we can do to find joy is to be captivated by Jesus. Not merely a verse, not merely a, a discipline, but the person of Jesus Christ. Recently I was listening to Michael Koulianos, who has a church over in America called Jesus Image. And he was talking about his growth in God and how he had a church. And it got to a point in his church where everybody was so frustrated that they started to leave. Nothing was going on. He was doing his best, but nothing was working. And all of a sudden, his wife started, stopped coming to church that they were pastoring. How many know that it's a bad day when your wife doesn't come to church? <laughs> Pardon the punt. And it took Michael on this journey. And he started to find these people, these great men and women who had been used mightily around the world and he would sit down with them and he would have coffee or, or lunch with them and he would say, what's the secret? There's got to be a secret. And they would say, yeah, yeah, the secret is this, just get alone with Jesus. And he would leave sort of frustrated and he'd go to the next one and he would say, what's the secret? What's the secret to your incredible ministry, to the fact that you're still powering for God at this age? And they would say, that's easy, just get alone with Jesus. And he went to the next person and all of a sudden he realized, he, he, he went to, to, to one group of, I think it was a group of, of nuns who were on fire for God. And he got alone with them and he said, surely they'll have the answer. And they said, you just got to get alone with Jesus. 
And he went back and he spent, I think it was the next six to 12 months, not doing a lot, but getting alone with Jesus. And he talks about what happened in his life, which is more important than what happened in his church. But all of a sudden, stuff just started to happen. We can't move on from the very simplicity of the gospel. Maybe you're like me sometimes and you lose sight of the most important thing. But the most important thing we can do is to get alone with him. It's not that we neglect other things. It's just that everything else comes from this place of intimacy and being totally captivated captivated by the person of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says life is but a vapor. What that means is just like a vapor leaves the air, he says this is just like our life is but a vapor. We're living right now in a world that's not certain. We could meet back here next Sunday and developments around the world could have rapidly changed. How many know that? We don't know what the next six months looks like around the world, around the Middle East, even in our own backyard. I'm sure you would agree even in, it bring it even more personal in your own personal life. There's uncertainty. We're living in a world with uncertain circumstances that constantly bombard us. But here in the midst of all this chaos and all this stuff that's going on on a global level and on a personal level, Jesus says here, hey, rejoice. Rejoice when you come across various troubles. And the way we do that is to be captivated by Jesus himself. I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. We're going to pray and, and finish. I believe we're living in times where just coming to church is not going to be enough. We're living in times where relying on a sermon from Sunday to Sunday or, or a worship set or a worship session or prayer just once a, a week, which is, of course, incredible, but it's not, not enough. And what the Lord is raising, he's raising an army of lovers of God. He's raising up an army of people that will say yes. That will say, hey, I'm going to get alone with him until I have that foundation. Until my circumstances no longer dictate my life, but I have a foundation, a solid foundation that is in him.
And it may, it may not look like you're giggling and, and, and rolling around on the floor. But what it may look like is that when you stare into someone's eyes who have got their foundation in the person of Jesus, there's a stability, there's a strength, there's a certainty, not in themselves, but in Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you that you're so good. We thank you, Lord, that you've actually given us the keys to live a victorious life. Lord, we pray that even though there will be trials, there will be difficulties in life. Lord, we just pray that you would give us the power through the work of the Holy Spirit to find joy. Lord, that it wouldn't just be a thing where we get through on the other side and we rejoice, but even in the very midst. Lord, that we would find joy. That we would allow the roots of our life to go deep. The foundations of our life to go deep into the person of Jesus. That we would be grounded, rooted. Our foundation would be so in you. Amen. Thank you.